0: maybe seated church good morning holland chapel how are you are you thankful that the author of tomorrow has ordered your steps i praise god that he is over it all and this morning we're going to talk a lot about how great god is are you excited to be here this morning to worship him to look at his word to be with believers church The church is a blessing, and I love being with you. I really do. We're in our sermon series called, That's a Good Question. Last week, we looked at the difficult question of of why is there suffering on earth? And if you remember within the message, if you were here, we we flipped the question and and we said, "Why, why do God's children suffer And we looked from the very word of God to try to understand, to try to place some purpose on the pain and the suffering that we as his children endure. So I pray last week was a blessing to you. We looked from the word of God at what God might be doing in the midst of the suffering that we endure. And if you remember the words that I spoke, if you haven't suffered, you just haven't lived long enough. So having that perspective is crucial as we go through this life. So if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back uh, on our YouTube channel and check that question out. This morning, I just want to warn you, uh, today is going to look a little different. Our, our structure of our service is going to look a, a, a touch different than normal. Typically, man, we'll, we'll sing, we'll have a 30-minute sermon, one guy up here talking, that's all good. But today, there's going to be multiple voices that you're going to hear because I wanted you to hear from other voices as well about questions that you may have. Today, if you recall, all the way back to the beginning of the series, I said, hey, the last week of the series, we're going to answer several questions we want to get to as many as we possibly can but before I start answering questions I want to tell you this if you posed a question if you wrote that in and it was not answered either previously or today it does not mean that we did not value your question does not mean that your question is not important and we want to tell you come after your pastors ask we would love to sit down with you and discuss the questions that you have okay church did you hear that We did not overlook any of them. This is just how this series fell. So if your question's not answered, please uh, talk to us about that. The one that I want to put on the screen to start with is this one. How do I handle anxiety and depression? Several years ago, this was uh, the most posed question on Google's search engine. The most single-asked question via the Internet. How do I handle depression? How do I handle anxiety? What do I do with this? This is a very common question, and if you are a child of God, you have hope that surpasses all understanding. Amen, children of God? And what we did, I want to direct you to, uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time this morning because this question has just really previously been answered in our sermon series called Wish List. I think it's going to be on the screen. We answered this very question on December 3rd, that was week two of our sermon series called Wishlist. So I want to direct you to that. If this was your question, or maybe you do have this question, your pastors answered this question in full in our sermon series called Wishlist. So take a picture of that, write that down. If this was you, you have an answer December the 3rd. We spend a whole lot of time talking about that. The next question that's going to be on the screen is, what is Holland Chapel's views... On women in pastoral ministry. If you pose this question or some question like this, we did a, I believe, a good job in our sermon series called Letters to My Son over the summer. I want to give you that one. It was uh, the week of uh, June 18th. That was week two in that sermon series where your pastors took the word of God and what we did with that series is we went through 1st and 2nd Timothy looking at the structure of the church what does the word of God say about how the church should be structured and within that letter Paul tells Timothy how the church should be structured and ordered but listen to me real quick you can go and check out the whole message I believe pastor Keaton handles that one he does a wonderful job in that sermon but I want you to hear me Women are incredibly important to God. Incredibly important. So, the way this question reads, or if you pose something like this, uh, women are invaluable to their heavenly Father God. In scripture, we see women taking on incredible tasks, and God uses them to do mighty things. Mighty things. Within the context of church leadership, however, what we see in Scripture is pastors and elders are to be men. That's what we see in Scripture. And here's, I want to encourage you women, not all men are qualified to be pastors and elders. That's what we see in Scripture. I want to direct you to that sermon if that is your question. The next one on the screen, who created God? You're like, oh, great. Uh, Yeah, hope you got an hour, Pastor Luke, right? Who created God? And here's where I want to spend a little time this morning. For God to be the creator, he cannot be created. For God to be our creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he cannot be a created being. Now, I know that is very difficult for us as humans, the creation ...to understand in our finite minds the capability of an infinite God. It's really difficult for us to process that. It does not mean that we shouldn't wrestle or shouldn't ask questions like this. But for God to be the creator, he cannot be the created. Remember, with each question we're going to process throughout the whole series and today... ...we, as children of God, tackle everything from a biblical perspective... So I'm going to answer this question with the Bible. John chapter 1, 1 through 4. John answers this question when he is elevating Jesus Christ. When he is answering who is Jesus, this is what he says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. Who's the Word that John is talking about? Jesus. So what we see in this passage of Scripture is John is elevating the deity of Christ. He's saying, Jesus, God, has always been. Now, for those of us that are created, it's hard for us to process something always being, isn't it? Like, it's really tough for our minds to go, man, something has just always existed? God has. And as we look at the Word of God, we take that on faith, that, that God is God is the creator. He's always been. He's always existed. Genesis chapter 1, there's so many answers we can gain from the book of Genesis. God starts the word of God with Genesis 1, one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God has always been. God will always be. And the children of God said, amen he is a big god very difficult for us to process but he's always existed. The next question that I want to handle is will we know each other in heaven? Is your head spinning yet? Will we know each other in heaven? Will we know our friends? Will we know our family? Will we will we know our loved ones? Will we know our spouse in heaven? It's a fair question. You ever processed that one? I think the Word of God speaks an awful lot about heaven. If you believe that it doesn't, you haven't read it enough. God's Word tells us much about heaven. But much confusion surrounds this particular question, I believe, due to one passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. We're going to read it. It says, For when the dead rise... They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. What is happening in this particular passage of Scripture? What's going on? There was a lady who had multiple husbands. She'd been married several times throughout her life. And uh, they bring this question to Christ and they say, Well, well, which husband will she have in heaven, Jesus? Which one? And he goes on to say, you don't have an understanding of Scripture. That's the reason that you're asking this question. And so when you and I come across this particular passage, we automatically jump to conclusions and think, well, I'm not going to know anyone. If I'm not going to be married, I'm not going to know my spouse. I'm not going to know anyone. We're we're there to worship God. And here's how I want to say this. Absolutely, we are there to worship God. That's the primary focus of heaven, children of God, is to leave this earth and everything in it behind and worship the one that saved your soul. That's what heaven's all about. But when we pose these questions, I, I think Scripture has some answers, and it's something for us to wrestle with. So what's up with this marriage thing? Right? Marriage was given, I believe, for three specific reasons to solve loneliness. We can go all the way back to the garden to see that it's not good for man to be alone. So, what did God do? Created him a helpmate, Eve. So, it's to solve loneliness. And then, it's for procreation. We also see that in the garden be fruitful and multiply. And then the third thing we see in the New Testament is that marriage is a representation of Christ and his church. So for all the married couples, that is our primary responsibility is to reflect Christ's love for the church and how that relationship should work. So you see, in heaven, as Jesus is saying, you don't understand the scriptures, there's such a big answer to this question. In heaven, guess what? You're not going to be lonely. In the book of Revelations, I believe it's chapter 7, John says, man, I looked up there and I saw uh, uh, people from every tribe, every nation, every language, worshiping around the throne of God. You're not going to be by yourself. So it solves the loneliness aspect. Heaven's going to be full of believers. It solves the procreation aspect. Heaven is where Jesus will be united with his bride once and for all. So it solves that problem. So you see, marriage is not going to be necessary in heaven. Now, what about those in the room this morning that have lost a spouse? And you're going, man, I want to see them one day. Just because you're not going to be given in marriage doesn't mean that you're not going to know them in heaven. I fully believe with all of my being we're going to know one another in heaven. That's blessed hope that the children of God have. We will see our loved ones again. I'm not pulling that out of thin air. Let's look and see what the word of God says. In Matthew chapter 17 is the transfiguration 3 and 4. So suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, "Lord, It's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. At this particular moment in time, Moses and Elijah had been dead quite some time. It was clear that they had returned in this moment from glory. And guess what? They were recognizable. They knew exactly who they were. That tells me, as we read Scripture, that they maintained a semblance of who they were on this earth. They were recognizable. Let's look and see uh, in the Gospels again, John chapter 21. This is concerning Jesus. If you remember, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and he was raised from the dead. And here in this particular moment... This is his uh, interaction with the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now he says, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew that it was Jesus. When he appeared to them in the upper room after he had been raised from the dead, they recognized Jesus, in his resurrected state, they knew that it was Christ. So if Jesus returned to the scene and was recognizable, that tells us in our resurrected forms we will be recognizable. Paul teaches on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 49 and 53. It says, just as we are now like the earthly man, speaking of Christ in his earthly form, we will someday be like the heavenly man, speaking of Jesus in his heavenly form. Verse 53, for our bodies, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Listen to me. Child of God, if your body is failing you, raise your hand. That's everyone in this room. Because God set time in motion and we're all fading, right? One day, this dying body will be glorified. I thought I would get a little bit more out of the children of God with that statement. One day, this dying body will be glorified. Woo! (laughs) We'll be glorified. But listen to me, church. Not only will we, we be glorified, we'll be recognizable. So that when we get to heaven, we'll know one another. When we get to heaven, we'll worship God with one another. So hear me out. There's lots of questions we have about heaven. There's lots of things that may puzzle us. But one thing I want you to get, we've already spoken about, is heaven is there for us to worship God for all eternity. And as children of God, listen to me, we've got a lot of speculation, a lot of thoughts, a lot of wishes and desires about heaven. That's the only one that matters. That's it. So what I want to do is, uh, since I had to process all of these, I wanted to ask other people to come uh, answer some questions. So I've asked Pastor Keaton to come up here and answer a few questions. So Pastor, will you come up here and handle your portion, my man. I feel like we should give you a round of applause, but you've already been up here, so don't. Don't.
1: No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't. All right. How we doing? Good. Good. Hey, first question I want to tackle is coming up, coming up on the screen. Are all sins equal to God? Are all sins equal to God? I'd invite you to uh, look over in your Bible on your phone on the screen to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 reads this way, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The short answer to this question is yes. All of us are sinners that have missed God's mark of perfection. Whether we cheated on a test in the first grade or cheated on a spouse last week, all of us fall short of God's mark of perfection. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Jesus underlines this idea when he takes the letter of the law, which Paul is referencing where we are here in Romans, he takes it up a notch. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has this to say. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that the ancients uh, were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What did we just read? Some extreme language there, right? From our Savior, Jesus, who we say we trust for eternal life. We also trust His Word. Do you trust His Word, church? If We keep reading in verse 27. It says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus is saying whether you have murdered Or been angry with your brother. Whether you have committed adultery or lusted after someone, you're guilty of sin. Why is that? It's because God's mark of holiness and righteousness is so far above our pitiful attempts. We're so marred by sin, we can't even stand in the same presence as him. I do think this question comes up for two possible reasons. One of them, I think, is because people have this confusion that, that there's this idea that if they have unconfessed sin, then that sin isn't going to be forgiven. That's not a biblical idea. Another reason, I think, is because the scripture does delineate between the natural consequences of sin and the fact that sin is all unholy and all causes us death. So we're going to tackle the, first, the second one first, and then we'll come back to that first one. Uh, I'd invite you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading um, in verse 18. That's the wrong chapter. Here we go. It says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And then after this section of Scripture, Paul goes on to teach what is proper in terms of sexual behavior in marriage. And so we see here, Paul says that sexual sin is not different in how God equates it as equally sinful with all other sins. But there are different consequences. All these other sins are outside the body. But when you commit this act, you're sinning against your own body. Remember, Jesus equates lust, a sin that's without the body, to adultery, a sin that is done with the body. And so this act of sexual sin is equal to God, but the repercussions, in fact, in the natural world are different. Just like if you hate a brother in your mind, you're as guilty before God of sin, but there are natural consequences if you actually inflict harm on them. Does that make sense? And so there are natural and spiritual, I mean our spirit, consequences to these sins that may be different than other sins. Now, let's go to the book of Romans again to give some hope for those of us who have maybe committed these sins with our bodies. And to address the first question about unconfessed sin. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 20, I know we're moving fast. we got to move fast, though. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Praise God. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And thanks be to God. Amen, church. If you were to keep reading in Romans and you get down in chapter 6, verse 8 says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We see here that Christ's death paid for our sin in full for all time. Do you believe that, church? And so this idea that unconfessed sin somehow messes up our salvation in Jesus, it's just not biblical. Jesus died once and for all, for all sin, past, present, and future. And he's powerful enough, do you believe that, church? To take care of our sin. Which takes us back to where we started. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift, verse 24 continues, by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. And speaking of previously committed, I want to take you back to Psalms. Chapter 103, Psalms 103, we've looked at New Testament scriptures, I want to look at some Old Testament real quickly before we move to the next question, I keep landing on the wrong page, there we go, Psalm 103, Um, verse 6 says, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise Jesus nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Even before Jesus walked on this earth, we see that God showed compassion on his children. Which leads us to our next question, which will be on the screen. How were people saved before Jesus lived on the earth? Have you ever wondered that? No one has. Cool. (laughs) Somebody did. That's right. How were people saved before Jesus lived on the earth? Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says this. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Romans references that verse that we just read. And I know we've spent a lot of time in Romans. It's really it's a really good book. I encourage you to read to read it. Romans chapter 4 verse 3 says this. For what does the scripture say, the one we just read? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. And whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So what is it that saves? Belief, faith in a God who can do something about your sin. It's a relationship with God. And I think one of the best texts to explain this question was asked, also asking about the old sacrificial system and some other things. And that is an excellent topic to study. We don't have time to cover all of it, but I would say if this was your question and you're curious, this is a good starting place in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, I would encourage you to read. If you have questions or want to know more about the old sacrificial system, here we see that system related to Jesus Christ, and the two compared to one another. Jesus' sacrifice fulfills the old sacrificial system. Verse 1 of chapter 9 says, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. If you jump down to verse 11 of chapter 9, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh then how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 25 reads this way. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest entered the holy place year by year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly, Awaits him. Chapter 10, verse 1, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very former, the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. That's a lot of text we read, but what is the takeaway? That Jesus died once for all for all sin, and he fulfilled that old covenant, that Old Testament system. I think it's neat that as you read through the rest of chapter 10, once you get to chapter 11, after you've seen the parallels between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, then we have this in chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. As you keep reading, you get statements like this. By faith, Abel Offered to God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. And then in verse 13, it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promise. That is, Jesus hasn't come yet. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance still and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. We talked about that last week, I believe it was. If you keep reading through there, you see by faith Abraham, by faith Jacob, by faith Isaac, by faith Moses, by faith the people of Israel this, by faith the walls of Jericho fell, by faith Rahab. And then it even says that we don't have time to tell you all the stories of faith. From the people of the Old Testament. Gideon, Barak, Samson. It goes on and on. Says things like this. By faith they conquered kingdoms. Performed acts of righteousness. Obtained promises. Shut the mouth of lions. Quenched the power of fire. And escaped the edge of the sword. And on and on and on it goes. Verse 39 reads this way. And all these people. Having gained approval through their. Faith. Did not receive what was promised yet because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have a great crowd of witnesses, these people that we just read about, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on who, church? Jesus, who is the what? The author and the perfecter, the first, the last. He died once for all, for past, present, and future. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne. All people in all times and places are saved through belief, through faith, through a relationship with God, through the expectation of a coming Messiah for those that lived before, through having seen with their own eyes the sacrificial lamb for those that lived during Jesus' time on earth, and looking back to King Jesus and his death, his burial, his resurrection for those of us living now after his ascension and before he comes back. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to live now in this time. And I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's how we're saved. Are you grateful for it? Amen, church. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Nick.
2: I've got one thing to say, and I need your help before we get started on this last question, and that is, today is Luke's birthday. Would you join me in saying happy birthday to Pastor Luke? Happy birthday! Thank you guys for submitting questions. What a fun series this has been. But more importantly, I hope that it's caused us all to dive into God's holy word for answers and continue to to draw us to his word as we have questions, because that's where the answers are. Uh, Final question. What's next for Holland Chapel? What is next for Holland Chapel? Well, to answer this question, I want to take you back in time to when this picture Uh, looked like where we're currently sitting. So you'll see kind of in the middle of the screen there, that is Holland Chapel around uh, the 90s. And uh, there was an airport back there. I don't know how many people in here are old enough as I am to remember when we would get some feedback from the pilots coming in for a landing and they would come in over our sound system. That made for some interesting sermon notes and uh, and some loud uh, endings to our worship gatherings as planes would fly over... To land, and that's what it looked like when there was an airport back there. Well, in the early 2000s, the county decided to build a new airport uh, in the Bryant area, and so they advertised that this property would be uh, put on auction and put up for an auction. It was in the newspapers. Holland Chapel began to plan and to think, could we purchase this property? And I remember on uh, April the 13th, 2006, some church members gathered out back expecting to have to compete for a price and, and, uh, and wondering if we would have enough money to purchase that property. Well, God had a plan, and with no opposition, Holland Chapel was able to purchase the airport property. Which tells me and reminds me that since Holland Chapel began a few hundred yards that way, out in a field in 1947, that God has had a plan for Holland Chapel. Throughout the decades, it's been waiting on his timing. When should we build? When should we add on? When should we build the Family Life Center? We've remodeled this property several times, given it some facelifts through the years. I believe that we have used the airport property many different ways to bring honor and glory to God, especially through the largest free Christian music festival you all know as Amplify. And so I think that we've been good stewards of that. But since 2006, one question has continually been asked. When are we going to build? When are we going to put something back there? When are we going to put a shovel in the ground? About a year ago, Holland Chapel's leadership began to really pursue this question and wonder, is it time? Uh, We're experiencing sweet, sweet unity at Holland Chapel. Uh, the, the, The room is getting crowded, especially in that room over there with the little kiddos. And uh, you've been in here the last several weeks as we've celebrated the 2023 highlights and what God has allowed us to be a part of. Incredible things are happening in and through Holland Chapel. And I believe it's going to continue to get crowded because your love for Jesus is contagious and the church is going to continue to grow. And so with all those things in mind, we prayerfully created a building team. Sean Robertson, Brian Cotton, Matt McGinney, and Keaton Grifford. And they began to meet, and they began to meet, and meet, and meet. And if they are in the room now, I would love for them to stand up for you to thank them for their time. Where are you at, guys? These men have helped us to create some incredible partnerships uh, with companies that have been extremely helpful, allowing us to dream and to present that dream to you today at no cost. We've not spent any money, and these companies have just been over backwards to help us and to help us plan and dream, and I want to be careful to tell you that's what this is today. It's just a dream. This is a vision of what could be, and we want you to get on board with it and get excited about it. So what is next for Holland Chapel? Your pastors and elders believe that it's time that we pursue this dream and continue down the path that God began for Holland Chapel several decades ago. So I want to start with just a couple of images as I share a few focus points Uh, that we believe are central to this vision. So you're going to see a couple of pictures first. Number one, this is a picture of where it's going to be, where we hope that it's going to be on the property. You'll see the interstate over there to the right. We want to be a part of our community. We want our community uh, to, we want to be inviting and available. And you probably know this, but our community is often found right back here in our backyard. Drive back there any weeknight uh, when the weather's good, not like it is now, and you will see hundreds of thousands of people back there on the ball fields, at the River Center, at the Boys Club, our communities in our backyard. We want to be inviting to them. We want to be available to them. And after looking at all the options of which way the building could face, we feel this is the most effective by turning our back to the danger and the noise of the interstate. And let's face it, who doesn't want to turn away from all the construction? And the second shot I want to show you here is uh, you can kind of see the layout. You can see the space because kids and students' uh, spaces are a must. They're currently crowded. They are outdated. Our kiddos are using uh, the old fellowship hall, which before that was the old sanctuary. Don't get me wrong. They're loving it. They're learning about Jesus. But we're constantly adapting to just an old building, and space is running out. I don't know about you, but I was brought to church by my parents who uh, brought me to church whether I wanted to be there or not. And many of you were probably raised the same way, but more and more today, kids and students are the key to reaching their parents with the gospel. We see this in student ministry, we see this in kids' ministry, and kids are inviting kids. Students are inviting students, and when they have a good time, their parents decide, hey, we want to come and check this out. They're also the baton carriers of the gospel for the next generation, and they're not waiting until they get older. They're doing it currently. We're seeing it as FCA is blowing up in our schools. And we have a wonderful community that has invited the gospel in and allowing these students to share their faith. And they're bringing friends and they're bringing families into the church. So kids and student space is a must. And lastly, we need a place to connect with one another. As I said before, the fellowship in here is sweet. But uh, if you walk in as service begins and we're greeting one another out there in the lobby, it's, it's not uncommon to hear shh because we're getting crowded back there and, and church is going on, especially in bad weather. Uh, people are needing a place to uh, enjoy each other's company and continue to connect. Ultimately, we need more space to connect with each other and do life together. And so those are some of the focus points that I wanted to share with you. Now, before I show you this next thing, keep in mind This is not a complete look. This is not where you're not going to go into every room. We're not going to, this is not all filled out. In fact, it's going to be rained back in uh, before it's all said and done. And I'm going to be very careful to say this is our dream. It's an exciting dream. And I believe that it could happen. And I I want you to put yourself out there and, and, and let your mind go there as you check out this really cool video. Can we get excited about that, Holland Chapel? If we're honest, though, this dream seems a little impossible, and it's going to be a challenge. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take giving. It's going to take participating. But I ask you a question, though. Who has experienced or witnessed God do something unexplainable in your life? Anybody, anybody seen God work and do the unexplainable in your life? The same God that caused the sun to stand still in the sky for Joshua, one of my favorite Bible stories. And the red Sea apart for Moses and the Israelites that's done the unexplainable in your life. That's the God that we're going to pray to. That's the God that we're going to seek and that's the God that we're going to depend on. So what now? What, is, what, what do we need to do now? We've shared a dream with you. What are we going to do? I want to ask you to pray, to ask questions, to dream with us over the next 28 days. There's a church family meeting on March the 10th. I want you to circle that date on your calendar. I want you to plan to be here. It'll be after the second worship gathering. And on March the 10th, we're going to vote on a decision to move forward with the building project. That does not mean that the next week we're going to put a shovel in the ground. In fact, far from it. This is going to require a multi-year financial campaign. It's going to require patience. It's going to require prayer. It's going to require more investing and inviting and certainly staying on mission. Because we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to gain momentum. We want more and more people to hear about the love of Jesus. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, in fact. I want to close with this. Why should we consider a building project? Why, Why now? Why should we consider a building project? I think it's very, very important that we understand that Holland Chapel doesn't just want to be the talk of the town. We don't want just to have a cool new building. Sure, space is an issue... And I believe it's going to continue to be an issue because, like I said before, your love for Jesus is contagious. I think Holland Chapel is going to continue to grow. And so space is certainly an issue. But more, more importantly and most importantly, I believe a building project is, is in question because people are desperate. Marriages are hurting. Young people are looking for identity and for purpose. And they need the good news. They need the incredible love of Jesus. They need hope. They need saving grace. And I believe that Holland Chapel is and can continue to be the place in this community where people can find hope. We sing a song, uh, the second song today had a line that said this, We are the church. We are the hope on earth. Who's with me and believes that we can be that for our community? You believe we can be a place where people can find hope. We can be a light, a city on a hill. I desperately want Holland Chapel to be that. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back or be on the newspapers. but so that people can find the incredible love of Jesus Christ and we can just play a role in it. Join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God that allows us to dream. For being a God who can... Make that dream come to pass, Lord. You're all-powerful. You're all-knowing. And from, since 1947 and before that, you had a plan for Holland Chapel. And Lord, we simply want to be in the center of your will. We want to be a place where desperate people can find hope. Lord, you can use that in an old building. You could do that in a new building. You could do that across town. You certainly do it as we go out on mission. Wherever, wherever our day leads us, Lord, we're together and we're trying desperately to help people find and follow Jesus. And we ask that you would just give us wisdom as we enter into this process and just, Lord, we, we pray that we would see a miracle, that we would see you work. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us sweet, sweet, unexplainable unity that is only found because of the connection that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that I pray, amen.